Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. You open this door with the click of a mouse. Beyond it is a world of sound, thought, and opinion. In-depth discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination. And you're invited along. For the next 30 minutes, we'll be talking Twilight Zone. Yes, we will be talking Twilight Zone. Hi, folks. I'm Lynn. I'm your host for Talking Twilight Zone. I'm here with my co-hosts, Bobby Near, Robert, and Dave. And I hope everyone had a nice Easter or Passover or whatever you celebrate. Um, and hey, I just hope everyone uh, broke out some wine and celebrated something. Uh, because um, without wine or beer, you know, what kind of a celebration would it be? But uh, That's true. Today, oh, by the way, Lan, how's um, life in Seattle there? <laughs> you don't want me to answer that. <laughs> How much time do you have? Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's just peachy. <laughs> so today's... Oh, and by the way, uh, Felix uh, just typed something in the chat room. He said he met one of the stars of our episode today, Lois Nettleton, uh, years ago oh, cool. at a Twilight Zone convention, said she was a great lady. Yeah, I'm sure she was. She seems like she would be a very down-to-earth person. I'm glad you shared that, Felix. Thank you. And today's episode is called The Midnight Sun. I'm going to turn it over to Robert, the smart ass, for his opening clip. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Mr. Serling. The word that Mrs. Bronson is unable to put into the hot, still, sodden air is doomed. Because the people you've just seen have been handed a death sentence. One month ago, the Earth suddenly changed its elliptical orbit and in doing so began to follow a path which gradually, moment by moment, day by day, took it closer to the sun. And all of man's little devices to stir up the air are no no longer luxuries. They happen to be pitiful and panicky keys to survival. The time is five minutes to twelve, midnight. There is no more darkness. The place is New York City and this is the eve of the end. Because even at midnight, it's high noon the hottest day in history, and you're about to spend it in the Twilight Zone. Thank you there, Mr. Serling. Oh, and by the way, yes. um, maybe in editing, I'll, I'll put a tribute in to Mike Wallace, and he passed away, I oh, think, 1993. Yeah. Um, one of his famous interviews was he did an interview with Mr. Serling. So. Many, year, many, 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 many years ago, yep, back when he was a young whippersnapper. Yeah, oh yeah, Mike Wallace, he was wonderful. I, he will be missed. Is pre-censorship, though, involved? Are you simply writing easy? In this particular area, no, because we're dealing with a half-hour show, which cannot probe like a 90, which doesn't use scripts as vehicles of social criticism. These are strictly for entertainment. These adult. are potboilers. Oh, no, uh-uh. I wouldn't then, call them potboilers at all. No, these are very adult, uh, I think, high-quality, half-hour, extremely polished films. But because they deal in the areas of fantasy and imagination and science fiction and all, all of those things, uh, there's no opportunity to cop a plea or, or chop an axe or anything. Well, you're not going to be able to cop a plea or chop an axe because you're going to be obviously working so hard on the Twilight Zone that, in essence, for the time being and for the foreseeable future, you've given up on writing anything important for television, right? Yeah. For the, well, uh, again, this is a semantic thing, important for television, I don't know. If by important you mean I'm not going to try to delve into current social problems dramatically, you're quite right, I'm not. 
You told Kay Gardella of the New York Daily News this. You said, professionally, I don't think Twilight Zone will hurt me, but I must admit I don't think it'll help me either. I'm stepping out of the line of fire. You've had it as far as trying to beat your brains out. Would you just read me the first two lines, Mike? Professionally, I don't think Twilight Zone will hurt me, but I must admit I don't think it'll help me. I never said that. I'm convinced it'll help me. I have great pride in this show. In 11 or 12 years of writing, Mike, I can lay claim to at least this. I have never written beneath myself. I've never written anything that I didn't want my name attached to. Mm -hmm. I have probed deeper in some scripts, and I've been more successful in some than others. But all of them that have been on, you know, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take my lick. I, I, they're mine, and that's the way I wanted them. Uh, somebody asked me the other day if this means that... Uh, uh, I'm going to be a, a, uh, a meek conformist. And I, my answer is no, I'm just acting the role of a tired nonconformist. Would you say, yeah, I, was, I was asking, uh, is that interview available at YouTube or somewhere? Mm hmm. Yeah, I it think is. all the parts are. Really? Right now, unless they removed it. Oh, that's, uh. that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, we definitely have to look that up. Absolutely. Oh, terrific. Yeah, I do. I will miss Mike Wallace. I mean, I know he was 93, lived a good life, but boy, he was he was an icon, that's for sure. Okay, and of course, this episode is called The Midnight Sun, and in this episode, the Earth has begun moving away from its usual orbit and is gradually moving closer and closer towards the sun at a very alarming rate, a rapid rate. And there's an artist named Norma and her landlady, Mrs. Bronson, and uh, they're the last people in their apartment building. Everyone else has either moved north where it's cooler or perished from the extremely high temperatures. So Norma and Mrs. Bronson, they try to keep each other company, even though they know they don't have much longer to exist. Um, they're, they're terrified as their water supply is turned on for only an hour a day and their electricity is turned off for a portion of the day, meaning that their fans and air conditioners, air conditioners get turned off during that time too. And of course, food and water are becoming extremely scarce. And a radio reporter tells all the citizens to remain indoors and be prepared for a looter rampage. So as the temperature grows hotter and hotter, Mrs. Bronson's mind can't handle the psychological pressures any longer. And Norma, being a, a painter, she paints a lot of pictures of the sun. This is all she knows now. And she says to Norma, please paint something cool instead of always painting the sun. So then later on, a strange man tries to get into Norma's apartment. She locks the door and threatens him with a gun, but Mrs. Bronson opens the door a little too quickly, and he pushes his way in. He, dr he drinks some of her dwindling amount of water, and then he has the audacity to pour the rest of it over his head. And, well, he finally comes to his senses, and he begs for their forgiveness, telling them how his wife and baby died from the heat. Well, after he leaves, Mrs. Bronson, who's still pretty shaken up, notices that Norma has painted a beautiful waterfall. And Norma tells her that she painted it just for her. So Mrs. Bronson, she goes into this delirium, and, and she claims that she can feel the coolness, and she starts acting like she's splashing the water around over, over her, and she says she feels the coolness. And, it, you know, this imaginary water is, is doing so much for her, and then she collapses to the floor and dies. Then the next thing we see, the thermometer surges past 120 degrees Fahrenheit, and it eventually shatters, and Norma's oil paintings start to melt, and then she screams and she collapses. Then the scene cuts to the apartment at night, and we see, or Norma's apartment at night, and, and we see a very dark, frigid, snowy night outside, and the weather's anything but hot. Thermometer reads minus 10 degrees, and there's a blizzard outside, and Norma's in bed with a slight fever. Mrs. Bronson's by her side was a doctor. So Norma was only dreaming that the Earth was moving closer to the sun. In reality, the Earth is moving away from the sun and will eventually freeze over. Norma tells Mrs. Bronson about a nightmare, adding, isn't it wonderful to have darkness and coolness? And Mrs. Bronson gets this look of you know, pure dread on her face and, and just says, uh, yes, dear, it's wonderful. Well, you know, I, I simply cannot watch the Midnight Sun without feeling very, very warm. I mean, this is one of those rare episodes that just engulfs the viewer. I mean, how can someone watch Norma and Mrs. Bronson sweating and, and they're, they're burning up without feeling a little bit of their discomfort? I mean, I don't necessarily mean we sweat, but, you know, there's something inside many of us that, that desperately longs for some relief, relief to come from somewhere for these two helpless women. And, you know, I, I thought about this and I thought, well, 
I guess Rod Serling predicted global warming long before anyone had ever heard of it. But this is an outstanding episode. However, it does have a few flaws here and there. I mean, first of all, the family in the beginning who proclaimed to be leaving for Toronto, that, that kind of made no sense to me. Doesn't the entire world share the same sun? I mean, what made them think that moving to Canada was going to change their fate? They had 12 gallons of gas and planned to drive all the way from New York, or all the way across New York State to Canada on 12 gallons of gas. And they planned to do this on highways that were totally congested and bumper to bumper with other people doing the same thing. I mean, that's, that's just not going to work. That gas isn't going to last very long. And they had that little girl with them. And the other thing I don't understand is why Mrs. Bronson was so quick to open that door after she thought the intruder had left. I mean, why she even have to open it? I mean, come on. A little bit of common sense goes a long way. But this is the Twilight Zone, so I guess we'll let her slide here. We sort of have to. But Lois Nettleton and Betty Gard, who played Mrs. Bronson, they were outstanding in the roles. No complaints there. Tim Reese, he played the guy who broke into their apartment, and he was also very good. I actually felt kind of sorry for him when he spoke of his wife and baby dying from the heat. I mean, the guy, he said, I, I'm off my rocker. Well, you know, the heat made him crazy. You do this? You're good. You paint real good. My wife used to paint. Please, please leave us alone. We didn't do you any harm. Please. Take this heat. I tried to keep her cool, but she take the heat. Baby didn't live more than an hour. Then she followed him. Not a housebreaker. I'm a decent man. I swear to you, I'm a, I'm a decent man. I've been walking around all all day trying to find some water. <laughs> I wouldn't hurt you. And you know, the very first time I ever saw this episode, I half expected Norman to invite him to stay with them but I suppose that wouldn't have been very practical. You know, I, I just thought that, well, maybe they'd want to have a man around or something, but, you know, he probably wouldn't have done that, and it wouldn't have been practical. But I thought the twist ending was wonderful, and it, it actually reminded me of the ending in The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if anyone else saw that, but uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, she awoke from a crazy and, and sometimes terrible dream to find herself back home. And There's no was, place like home. No, no place, place like home. home. No place like home. <laughs> <laughs> and Norma, you know, it's the same thing. Norma <laughs> woke from the crazy, horrible dream. She found herself back home. You know, no place like home. But, uh, however, Dorothy, she awoke to a good place. Norma didn't. She wasn't burning up anymore, but she was going to eventually freeze to death. Dorothy told everyone around her that they were in her dream. Mrs. Bronson was in Norma's dream, even though she didn't tell her that. But uh, there definitely was no Yellow Brick Road or Emerald City in Norma's dream. There were, there were differences, but it did remind me of that movie. But uh, last but not least, once again, we see the doctor saying that he's heading to Miami to get away from the inevitable. And I would think he'd know better. You know, the sun doesn't discriminate. Uh, you know, uh, he's going to burn up, too. Don't, it doesn't matter where he is. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And desperation comes in all forms. So as far as I'm concerned, it's really a classic episode, and it's worthy of a five rating from me. So I'm going to turn this over to Robert. Okay, thank you, Lynn. Yeah, this, of course, is one of my um, favorite episodes, too. Um, you were bringing up the point about you know people going up to Canada and getting away from the sun, which is kind of hard to do since it's all facing the sun and you're heading into it. Yeah. At what point does the water itself stop, start bubbling or boiling because the heat and the um, polar ice caps start melting? 
and evaporating. So, yep. So, I mean, you know, you're not going to get away. You, you might buy yourself a, a, maybe you know, a few hours or something like that, but, you know, it's all going to catch up towards the end. And then pretty soon the trees are going to ignite and it's just going to just burn up. So just putting off the inevitable, which is going to happen anyway. Why I bring this up is one of my favorites um, because um, I did like the um, twist that you get that they're not actually, like you said, going towards the sun, but actually going away from the sun. Right. Which, with that, too, instead of burning up like a crispy cinder, you freeze up like an icicle because the further you get away from the sun, the less heat you're going to get and the more, you know, be like a forever winter. But one of the things that I like about this story is the um, two characters in it, the, the two women. Um, mm. I thought, um, you know, they did a real good job. Um, I did um, like um, both the actresses in this. And, I mean, it was a very tight, very focused episode to where you didn't have all these people coming in and out. You had, like you said, the interloper coming in and trying to stir things up a little bit by, you know, grabbing the water. And then you have the, the doctor later on, so... I thought the that, women had a good chemistry. The women, the women yeah. worked well together. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think they did too. Um, I, I think it was a, a well-constructed episode. As Bobby said before, even a 4.5, a classic is a, is a classic. Any any way you look at it, I kind of took the edge off it. I just feel that there are some parts of it that maybe not makes it a a five. But it comes awful close to it in this mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, one of the things that I um, uh, mentioned in, in my review is um, when I was a kid in school, I used to get the um, school Scholastic magazine. Um, they would have um, where people could order books or magazines to mm-hmm. uh, their classroom, and I, of course, ordered um, school Scholastic, and then one. Um, I, one month there was um, the Twilight Zone on the cover of it with um, Ross Serling right there and a, uh, like a, a clock or whatever. And inside the magazine was the teleplay for the Midnight Sun. Oh, and cool. it, it, it had, you know, how teleplays are structured. If you read them in magazines, you know, they have the, they set up the scene and then they yeah. have the character's name and what they say. And then, yeah. you know, it goes on like that. Yeah. And it had pictures in it from the episode two. Yeah, that's cool. And yeah, it, it was kind of nice. And, you know, I've been trying to hunt that magazine up, but unfortunately I hadn't been able to. And, and I don't think I have it anymore. I'm not for sure because it was a, a long time ago, but it was one of the things that really um, got me into the, the Twilight Zone, watching the reruns when they, they come up on TV. ended up to be one of my um, favorite stories. Like I said, Season 3 is one of my favorite seasons, and this happens to be one of the stories in Season 3. Just kind of a little um, note of interest, too, that um, because of the budget, you can tell that there were budget restraints, that there were some scenes that were cut out, especially um, with the um, intruder, there were some scenes, um, uh, you know, surrounding him that um, were cut for budgetary um, purposes. And also, um, that season they got a new um, chief executive at um, CBS. Oh, yeah. So um, he was hired during the show's second season, mm-hmm. tighten the money belt. He buckled so down. He really buckled down. I, yeah, I remember reading that. <clears throat> he yep. was very, uh, he was very... Uh, cost conscious, we should say. <laughs> Very cost conscious. It's true. And um, one of the um, things as I was researching, I discovered that the um, oil paintings, um, to give the effects of the um, paintings melting, mm-hmm. um, they actually painted with wax and put it on a hot plate. And then the studio, they uh, turned up the heat in the studio and turn down the air conditioning to get... Oh, yeah, you, I think you mentioned that in your review. You mentioned that in your review, feel, yeah. Yeah, of mm-hmm. the, um, actually, which I said that's what they should have done with um, the episode with the aliens that come to the cafe. Yeah. That 
they should have turned the air conditioning up in the studio because you didn't see the breath when they it's supposed to be a snowy scene but yet there's no breath oh yeah out of the mouth of the cold so. yeah hey, you know there was something else too that i noticed in this episode uh the guy that breaks into their, their apartment why was he wearing a long sleeve jacket yeah i, I mean, think that could could have been just a, a miss thing yeah if he was that hot, you don't think he'd be walking around. I mean, the sun, is, I mean, they're burning up and he's wearing a long sleeve jacket. I would think he'd just be walking around the t-shirt or, or nothing, you know, no no top at all. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a continuity mistake on their yeah, part. Yeah, it had for, to be. For that, yeah. Because nobody would be doing that. And that kind of heat, he's not going to have long sleeves on. I, was kind yeah. of <laughs> <laughs> I would if it's about 107 degrees and I'm sweating and uh, evidently, yeah, the guy must be dying because his, you know, sweat is not working, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's wearing a long sleeve jacket, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but definitely a 4.5 out of 5, I give this story. So. Okay. I'll go ahead and pass it on to Bobby. Okay. All right, thank you, Robert. This is going to be quite a challenge for me because Robert just said everything I was going to say. <laughs> so let me see if I can come up with something new. Um, this is, yeah, this is obviously a quality episode. And, uh, I think what I like about it the most is, you know, you watch Twilight Zone for years and you know that not all stories, but most of them have some sort of twist ending. But this is one of those rare stories or other ones, of course, too, that has a double twist ending. And I like the way Sterling always does this because the only way you can fool an audience that is already waiting for a twist ending. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, there's something going on here more than what they're showing me, is to try to send them in another direction. And early in this episode, the lead character actually speculates that she's having a dream. She says, you know, maybe I'm just having a dream about all this. I think I'm going to wake up and all of a sudden it's going to not be happening. So she's actually given away part, part of the ending. So that, that distraction right away, you figure, okay, well, it's not that because she's already given it away, only to find out at the end that she was indeed dreaming, only there's more to it than that. Uh, it's the same as it was in, in, in Eye of the Beholder, where you knew something was up. You saw the doctors and the nurses in silhouette on the walls, and they didn't allow you to see them. So obviously, you know they're hiding something from you. But even right. so, you're still folded to the end anyway. I always like I get a kick out of that because it's it's very unusual. You don't see that on TV anymore. Everything is obvious. You can guess what's going to happen long before it gets to the end. There's no imagination anymore, so it's kind of challenging. And and generally, you get fooled anyway. It really, it really doesn't help. Now, this what I like about this episode. This is one of those episodes that really depends on actors to carry the day, because in reality, nothing happens. This is one of those stories in which nothing happens at all. People are just sitting there getting hotter and hotter and complaining about the heat. Now, normally on episodes like that, I usually give it a zero and say it bored me to death. But this really works here because it's really quality acting that really convinces you. And as Robert has already mentioned, the, you know, the, the director on this, uh, this episode uh, turned off the air conditioning in the studio and turned on the heat to make the actors really feel warm. You know, you gotta, this, this is really earning your pay if you're making a TV episode and you're that, in that much discomfort. I'm not sure I would want any part of that. But it certainly does work because they don't just look hot. They really are hot. And they filmed it in the middle of the summer. So that sounds intolerable to me. Um, but, but it's really the acting. Now, uh, I, I want to get into this business about the budget. I was, before Robert mentioned I was going to say that. Also, that James Aubrey, who, was the, who came in to take over CBS, Right away, went to the Twilight Zone. And we've, we've discussed this before, and we've heard about it before in the series. And it just infuriates me. It's absolutely ridiculous, because the Twilight Zone really has almost no special effects. It's absurd. Uh, uh, imagine if this episode was done by somebody today. You'd have special effects. You'd have the Earth crashing into the sun, and it would be spectacular. I mean, this isn't exactly Star Wars. The Twilight Zone always depended on character development and storylines. And that's what makes it the classic that it is. Because the trouble with special effects today that they're fabulous, you, you take them for granted now. You just know that you're going to see digital special effects are going to give you everything you could ever dream for. Here, there's absolutely nothing going on. The, the Twilight Zone was over budget. That's all I ever read about. And I read about it with this episode. What was the budget? That nine ninety five? I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> There's just nothing going on there at all. It's ludicrous. 
to say that they kept badgering uh, uh, Rod Serling to cut the budget. He had two other characters that were supposed to be in this story, a policeman and a repairman. He took them both out because they couldn't afford, supposedly, to pay them, pay the actors. I mean, CBS should have thanked their lucky stars that they had this, what would be a classic series that came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm sure when they bought the rights to it, they had no idea what was going to bear it. And 50 years later, people would still be talking about it. And you would think that they would throw more money at it rather than saying, oh, no, you've got to cut it back. And I always get furious about it. It's a miracle that it survived. In today's world, of course, if you did that, it wouldn't survive because it would look like a piece of junk and nobody would watch it anymore because we've come to expect the spectacular special effects. So I think it's absolutely shameful that CBS, a multi-million dollar company, would look at a classic TV series and, uh, and actually try to cut money there. They should be ashamed of themselves. They really should. Now, I wanted to mention something about now. When I was in school, um, science and astronomy were not exactly my strong suit, so I may be way off on this, but Sterling says at the beginning that the Earth is out of its elliptical orbit. Now, the reason why we have day and night on this planet is because the Earth turns around the sun, and when it's dark, you're on the other side. So if in this episode, the Earth is going towards the sun, wouldn't this heat only be on one side of the Earth? Am I right about that? Robert, what do you think? What do you think, Robert? Yeah, I was eating my pizza. That's why she had me <laughs> eating <laughs> I'm all done. Thank I'm you. Sitting here when the moon is dry, I'm talking brilliantly, <laughs> making these brilliant observations. The man's eating pizza. When the sun hits your eye like a big pizza pie. Big pizza pie, yeah. nothing more. Well, you think the sun would eclipse. Well, the thing is, the the Earth is still rotating, I would think, while yeah. it's going through space and hitting the but sun. Because it doesn't say that it stopped rotating. If yeah, I remember, because... remember, he was lying in the introduction. He's not mm. telling the truth. Okay, but even in reverse, even Maybe. if it's really getting cold rather than hot, the same thing would apply. I mean, it's supposed to be New York City, so it's getting hotter and hotter in New York. But is it getting hotter and hotter in China? That's on the other side of the world. Or Australia. Yeah. Well, it'll be delayed. It's eventually going to happen on the other side of the world as it's happening if, there if all in the world's getting If all the world's getting hot, there's no cool air to come in and, and, and reduce the temperature overnight. Because uh, any wind blowing from any other country will have blown from an area where there would have been hot air as well. So <laughs> basically the overall temperature would build up. Uh, admittedly, it would take years, not weeks and months. So... But uh, I think the whole point you've got to remember is that he's lying in that introduction. It's misleading. Well, oh, yeah, it's right. like Space 1999 almost with the moon there being knocked out of its orbit by yeah. exploding nuclear waste on the moon. the master computer. I want a readout on contingency plan Exodus. Yes, sir. Emergency operation Exodus indefinite patterns. One, moon on unknown trajectory. Two, constantly changing G-forces due to movement away from Earth. Three, insufficient data to compute flight plan. Human decision required. <laughs> 
sections, Alpha. This is Commander John Koenig. As you know, the moon has been blasted out of orbit, and we have been completely cut off from Earth. We have power, environment, and therefore the possibility of survival. If we should try to return to Earth without full resources, I believe we would fail. Therefore, it is my judgment we do not try. What about our communications with Earth? Any chance of restoring contact? Very little, sir. We've lost all direct communication. All I can get is this video report being broadcast on Earth. Put it up on the big screen. The totally unforeseen accident on the lunar surface has caused very serious repercussions here on Earth. Due to gravity disruption, there have been violent earthquakes in the United States, Yugoslavia, and southern France, with enormous damage to life and property. The International Lunar Commission holds out little hope for the rescue of the 311 men and women on Moon Base Alpha. The moon's acceleration away from Earth has put it beyond the reach of any... But they didn't have technology back then to where it could go into places that could produce either heat or, or cold. I mean, you're pretty much spending on your own with this, but... And you imagine space time 99, there's no atmosphere anyway, and the moon's going out of orbit and going through space. Well, the Earth heading towards the sun, eventually there's going to be explosions in the atmosphere because the heat's going to ignite what the chemicals is, and then you're going to not be able to breathe. It's just, you know, one thing after another. Well, that's I think, think sooner or later. I wish I would have been sitting next to me when I was in school. I would have done better. <laughs> Uh, hey, I got a C in science. Uh, I think sooner or later the whole world is going to the whole world is going. Well, to, I agree, especially uh, if, yeah. if the suggestion is that the Earth is going to crash into the sun eventually because we're getting closer and closer. Yeah, but I think you bring up a good point. Yeah, it'll probably be delayed in some parts of the world, but it's going to happen. As, as Dave said, it's going to happen eventually. To, to all, the whole world. Just well, anyway, I, I just think that it's it's the actors really who make uh, who makes this thing work, and uh, without them, it would be nothing. Because I don't, to me, the Twilight Zone is famous and different because it depends on stories and character development, which is what I like. Uh, I mean, I like special effects as much as anybody. I mean, like today is the big Titanic day in the world, and the Titanic movie is an example of that. I mean, it's fabulous to look at. It's absolutely remarkable. There's never been anything like it. But the love story bores me to death. I mean, I feel like jumping off the boat myself. So I don't. I I I I I rather have a, an interesting story than those kind of special effects. Look at the Twilight Zone movie when they made a movie out of it. They did special effects, and it cost Big Mario his life. I mean, so you know, it it just is. Uh, stay with the spirit of the original series. And, uh, and and beyond that, I also point out that uh, this is an interesting episode to watch today because we hear so much about global warming, and that over a period of time it's getting. I mean, we just went through it this past winter, all around the world, especially in this country. It was uh, in the 60s and 70s in the middle of winter in places, and you know, every time you turn on the TV, they go, "Well, don't be so happy about that. It indicates that there's global warming, and it's going to come to it's going to bite us one day. We're going to be sorry for it." And uh, it's interesting that 50 years later, it actually becomes a serious issue. So I really do enjoy uh, watching this episode, although it, it's, it's very unnerving to me personally. As I mentioned in my review, and we uh, reviewed it on the board, when I was a child, I suffered from very high fevers. And uh, if I got the flu, I mean, uh, once my temperature got up to 103, almost 104, and I passed out and went into convulsions. I had to be rushed to the hospital. It happened at least once, if not twice. So when I see her laying there being that hot, I can relate to that because I remember how horrible it was to be that be that hot. So it's a it's a pretty scary episode. One person at IMDb, everybody gave it. Five hundred people voted, and they gave it an eight point four rating. But one person called it the scariest episode of the entire series. Now I disagree with that, but uh, it is it is pretty unnerving. It is pretty scary. Uh, the only other thing I want to say in conclusion is I find it rather amusing about the guy who comes in and says he got the last 12 gallons of gas. Well, back then, gasoline was about 29.9 cents a gallon. So that cost him about 360 Today, it would cost him $50. <laughs> so he's probably lucky that he was back there, even though the earth is going to crash into the sun. <laughs> so I can and this 50. is one that was focused well, that it's a good thing this wasn't an hour one. I, I don't think it would have. I agree. In that form. Yeah, I think that would be stretching it. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah, you got to keep it as tight as it is. But it's 
It's a good episode. It's a classic. It's a five. I don't think there's any doubt about it. All right, Lynn, that's it for me. Okay, and, and you know, just to mention that 12 gallons of gas wasn't going to get this guy very far. No, but at least it was cheap back then. That's true. And at the at this moment, I would like to welcome Kaizan, and I'd like to welcome the Canine King. And uh, the Canine King just typed into the chat room, uh, just to answer your earlier question, all sci-fi shows were asked to cut back. TV executives didn't see them as important. Uh, family shows and variety shows were the thing back then, and they didn't see the sci-fi shows as important. And you probably well, idiots. Yeah, exactly. But but he has a good point. That's probably true. There were a lot of family and variety shows back then. Yeah, but you know, the Twilight Zone isn't really specifically a, a sci-fi show. There are episodes no. having to do with everyday life. I don't. I wouldn't call it necessarily sci-fi that much. Well, I, I well, mm, I don't. More into the dramatic. Yeah, there was some like dramatic episodes bit. in it too. Yeah. It had a it had a sci-fi, a, a horror, or I, I don't know, but. Yeah, I think Canine King's right though. It, it probably was. <clears throat> yeah, a little, little terrible, <laughs> uh, lame comedy here and there. But uh, yeah, I'm sure that the family variety shows took precedence. Uh, but I'm going to uh, thank you, Canine King. <laughs> he says you're welcome. And I'd like to put this through to Dave now. Okay, thanks, Lynn. Uh, just before I go on, just notice that there's somebody in the room that might just be spamming you, so be ready to stop them with text chat if indeed that's what they're doing. Um, yes, number eight. It's not on topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, let me say, well, first of all, uh, Midnight Sun, Series 3, Episode 20, uh, 75, I think it's worth mentioning to people who are not, I uh, want to check it out. First aired 17th of November 1961. Uh, some of those inconsistencies that, that people have been talking about, I think th- they're entirely consistent in, in many ways. First of all, we had Rod Sterling deliberately misleading everybody with his opening monologue in terms of saying that the Earth is going near to the sun. Although I do take on board what Bobby says about you know uh, just the actual mechanics of how that would work. But it's, it's definitely misdirection. Uh, Lynn taught, uh, and I'm not trying to correct you, Lynn, I'm just giving my interpretation mm-hmm. on it. Sure. Uh, when you said that, you know, you didn't know how, how this man could come in the apartment uh, wearing a jumper or whatever, you know, when it's so hot. The point was, it wasn't hot. It was freezing cold, and she was in a dream. I think what's happening is she's having this dream, she's imagining everything hot. Maybe that was a little bit of reality creeping in to her feverish nightmare. Uh, I mean, the, the same point about you said that how how um, the 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 other lady opened the door too quickly, uh, so it, which seemed ins- not sensible. Well, the point is again, this woman is not having a rational uh, event; she's actually mm-hmm. dreaming, and not a national dream. And as the fe- fever ebbs and subsides, uh, you know, the, it, it it's getting slightly more bizarre, or more more frightening, or whatever you want to say. And, and, and you could argue that those inconsistencies could be all part and parcel of the way she was going through uh, the the whole experience. That's that's a good point, Dave. I didn't think about that. That's a good point because because it was getting weirder and weirder as it went on. It was getting more, like you said, more bizarre and scarier as she was breaking out of the fever. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, uh, a couple of episodes ago, of course, we had the you know the tomorrow's going to be a good day. Uh, a really good day, <laughs> the end line, and here we have a line. Yes, my dear, it's wonderful. Um, but I think the switcheroo was really great um, with the temperature. It, it, it gave, um, first of all, it meant that they could have all that dramatic part to it, and yet they still got the um, the switch at the end. So that led for what could have been quite a simple story uh, and, and made it to a very great effect. Uh, before I give the rating, I just want to mention, I don't know if it's been brought up on the boards or anywhere else, but um, the, the actress uh, Louise Nettleton um, actually uh, pre- was, uh, did an audio voice of an audio book of the, the, uh, this episode. Uh, came out in 1993. Put a link in the room to a YouTube uh, link to part one, and I think all the parts are available on YouTube, and you can actually oh, hear really? her you can hear her narrate the story and obviously because she was the actress in the part she does an absolute sterling job get the pun sterling job of uh, (laughs) telling the story 
So um, that's great. I didn't know that. That's wonderful. Yeah, Thank you. It really, really listen to it. It really is atmospheric the way she does it. You're back in the the actual episode itself when you're listening to her portray that. And I think there was an actual reimagining of this story in a later series of uh, um, Twilight Zone, but I, I, I lost the link that I had to that. But I think the story was either reused or partially reworked. Uh, for a later series. But yes, I, I would go along with everybody else. Um, I didn't actually manage to see it all the way through very recently, but my recollection of it is that it is a, a classic, uh, very much so. And, and one thing I'm going to address to Bobby, uh, because I know he's a younger man than me, uh, oh, yeah. when, I was at, when, when I was at school, <laughs> uh, the threat was that we were actually heading towards the Ice Age, another little mini Ice Age. Yeah, Here that's yeah, in, in the 16th, 17th century, you know, in uh, in London, the Thames was freezing over and they're having what they call the ice fairs, where on the frozen River Thames, they were having these frost fairs, I think they were called. And when I was at school, they were saying, actually, we're overdue, another little, not a great ice age with glaciers all over the country, but, you know, really harsh winters coming back. And, and and some people, scientists, still say, although there is definite influence of the humans uh, keeping, um, you know, the hot, slightly hothouse effect, there's, some people have said, and I'm not saying I agree necessarily, but if it hadn't been for that, we would already be dipping into colder weather. In actual fact, the, the human intervention is preventing uh, that mini, I say, that's been delayed 60 or 80 years now, because um, they quote something about sunspots, about the Monde Minimum, which is in a time when the, the sun is less active with uh, sunspots. And it was at the, the last Monde Minimum in the, the 1650s or 1680s that we had these really cold weathers. And the sun has been in a fairly subdued uh, thing for the last 12 years. And the sun has lots of different cycles, an 11-year cycle, a 33-year cycle, and a 400-year cycle. And just again, to refer to that elliptical orbit, I mean, the, the Earth's orbit around the sun does change every, I think that's about 260 years. Uh, the actual elliptical orbit gets slightly exaggerated, so we're slightly further out and further in. The very strange thing, and this is off the topic, I know slightly, uh, in the northern hemisphere, because of the way that the Earth tilts, in the actual northern hemisphere, when it's our summer, the sun is actually fur the Earth is farther away from the sun than it is uh, at the winter, and that's why the southern hemisphere has slightly hotter summers than us because its summer can coincides with the part of the Earth's rotation where the Earth is also nearer, as well as it being their summer. So, but. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, great acting. I, I don't know why they had to cut the, the budget so sharply. Um, it must have been a, a very basic, uh, anyway. But it just shows you what you can do with atmospherics uh, and uh, and committed actors and actresses who, um, you know, they've got to sell the story. Uh, I mean, they always tell it when, um, when, when I'm talking, you know, we're listening to things about Doctor Who. You know, sometimes they're put in absurd situations, right. and the actors the actors will say the only way you can do it is play it absolutely straight. You know, you you've got to if you're not convinced you're in a hot house in a hot country in a heat wave, if you're not the actors not convinced, then the audience watching won't be convinced. And I think uh, that paid off here because it made that sort of reveal at the end uh, very much more of a surprise. And, um, yeah, a, a really good episode. And it's nice to see uh, Bobby uh, complimenting Twilight Zone uh, this <laughs> week. And I think we've got quite a, a good consensus this week on this one. We know yeah, something. Definitely. I, 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 uh, I want to bring up a point here. I have a book that's called The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, which besides giving all kinds of trivia and all kinds of information on episodes, it gives the cost, the cost for everything to produce for every single episode. And what they paid for, for the Midnight Sun, what they paid the entire cast, this is Betty Gard, Lois Nettleson, um, 
the three people who are leaving the building, the doctor and the man who, who broke in the park, the entire cast was paid $4,281. That was the, the, that was what was paid the entire cast. They made very little money. I mean, how much more could they cut? And the production fee alone was only 900 bucks. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, there were other, other costs as well. But, um, you know, the, the whole cast was paid under $5,000. Good Lord. I mean, they couldn't have cut much more. I mean, I, I just think that's, that's really, I mean, they're insane. And then they wanted to cut even more. Listeners to this uh, podcast will not realize that that's about all that Lim pays us for coming on. That's about it. That's all you get. Man, yeah, cookie? Nothing more than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> nothing more than that. that. <laughs> no cookies either. Stop it. <laughs> but isn't that ridiculous? I mean, that's it. Bought less than $4,200. $4,200 for, for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven cast members. Got less well, than what was the minimum wage for people working in that era? Wasn't it like about a buck something an hour or something about like that? About $1.25. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Not. so yeah, that's I mean and they still wanted to cut it even more. That's that's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Production costs were nine hundred dollars. Um but what I would like to know, Felix, what do you give this episode? Do you, on a scale of one to five, with five being a classic, what do you what do you give it? And uh if K nine King or Cap uh left, darn it. But but K nine King, if K nine King has a has a rating, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, I'm at the site now to look over the ratings, and you know this you know episode did quite well. Um, it's anywhere from a four to a five, nothing under a four. So I mean that's great, and majority of people took classic. Two others went with me on the four point five, and yeah, had one person hit mm-hmm. excellent. So yeah, very well right. received story. And I'm surprised Bobby didn't bring up the IDMB. Yeah, because you always talk no, about he did. how people he did. rated it. I did. Oh, did he? He did. Oh, I, yeah. I said that they gave, uh, over 500 voters gave it an 8.4 rating. Yeah. Okay, I must have been eating my you pizza eating, during You were eating time. pizza. Yeah, <laughs> you stopped stuffing your face with pizza. Maybe you're right. Eating pizza. Mmm, <laughs> it's good too. Uh, well, Felix isn't giving me a rating here. Uh, we wish Felix would. And K9 King, I guess either he hasn't seen the episode or he doesn't uh, have a rating. But anyway, uh, oh, oh. Canine King's giving an 8.0. <laughs> it's probably out we'll, 10. We'll take that. We'll take that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's, that's close enough to a 5. <laughs> but Felix, will, well, that's okay, Felix. At least you're here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so anyway. Lynn, um, how I usually go and listen to podcasts and check things out where, you know, Twilight Zone is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um one podcast to listen to is called the um, Delta Quadrant, which is um, on the Star Trek um, series um, Voyager. And I come across um, episode nine of season one um, that they were talking about. And usually their show is set up to where at the towards the end after they do their reviews and stuff, they do um, off topic um, talk and at the end of it. And one of the one of the members of the podcast um, brought up Twilight Zone, and I wanted to share that with everybody and just let everybody know if you want to check it out, you can get it through iTunes, like I get most of my podcasts under Star Trek in um, iTunes, and you can bring up the Delta Quadrant, and they do Delta, a Delta um, Quadrant, Delta Quadrant, yeah, the Delta Quadrant, and they do episode by episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, reviews right now they're up to um, season two I think episode four or five but um, yeah this was kind of interesting when I was listening back to some of their past episodes to get caught up like I said one of the um, let me set this up for everybody these are people that are in their 20s and 30s these ain't anybody you know these are young people um, that um, watch the Twilight Zone, especially this person in particular. So um, let me go ahead and play a clip for you. Hey, yo, this is the Delta Quadrant. Uh, I am your guest speaker for the evening. My name is Charlene Schmidt. I am the series editor for Voyager on Trek FM. 
It's trek.fm. If you haven't given it a visit, please do. Trek News. We've got a uh, hyper channel video newscast as well as other podcasts and other material. Just a little shameless self-promotion there. And uh, the Delta Quadrant hosts have kindly had me on. Guys? I am Josh in California. I'm Matt in Arizona. I'm GD. I'm in New York. Oh, and I am in Fargo, North Dakota. Some other things like that. But um, uh, lately I've been actually watching The Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Right. It's on Netflix streaming. So it's very convenient uh, to just watch it like that. And late at night, usually when I'd be reading, I've been watching The Twilight Zone. And I've been having a blast. I've been going through these episodes, just knocking one down after the other. I've been having a great time, seeing a lot of good stuff that I hadn't seen in years. Um, some some episodes, as far as I hadn't seen before. But of course, I watched all the classics, you know, like uh, After Hours, where the woman's a mannequin. And well, did you see William Shatner's yet? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's one of the first ones <laughs> I watched. You know, both Shatner episodes. You know. Yeah. Um, Watch that, um, you know the the one with uh, where he, the the guy with the glasses and he you know the nuclear bomb goes off and he can't read without his glasses. Um, have you seen the Have you seen the one where uh, the two crooks find the camera that can take pictures of the future? Uh, no, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I've seen I, it before. That's one of my favorites. I think that's like a very special camera or something. Yeah. 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 That one. Good. That one and the one with uh, Telly Savalas where he goes against the talking doll. Oh yeah, the living doll. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, some of the ones, uh, like To Serve Man, of course, I think that's like rated high. Eye the Beholder is still very good. I watched that. I think one of the first ones I watched, you know. Oh, is, that the, is that the one with the wrapped face? Yeah. Do you guys know that one? Yeah. JD, yeah. JD and, uh, and, uh. I have no yeah. idea. I don't think I've seen an episode of that show in 15 years. So that one. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. I, my dad watched it when I was, but I don't I don't remember and, anything about it. And I just gotta I just gotta say that Rod Serling is one cool cat. I mean he's real classy. Oh, I, yeah. I love how debonair he is. Well Str- Strodland, you, did you uh, ever watch the uh Twilight Zone? Uh, a little bit, but it's been several years, so I only vaguely remember it. Well, I think there was a marathon on today. <laughs> yeah, they do they do like Twilight Zone marathons for, for New Year's and for Halloween and for Christmas. They do it whenever the holidays come up. Oh nice. I'll have to get reacquainted with it. It's a great show. Yeah, you know, they've had revivals. I know it was it was spun off twice, I think in the 80s and then well, I remember the Forrest Whitaker one from the 2000s. Yeah, they had that and neither of them I guess really panned out uh, the way that the spin-off of the the Outer Limits did on Showtime. No, but I do remember that in the Forrest Whitaker one they did a sequel or a remake of Eye of the Beholder and that's how I know about it. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. and um there's also they also produce radio dramas of the Twilight Zone uh, episodes, which are actually really good. Anybody out there likes listening to radio dramas, which I do, uh, check them out. Um, they're very well produced. It's like the Star Wars, uh, the original Star Wars radio dramas. Do you guys ever listen to those? No, oh, love them. No. I'm a huge fan since Wait, I was a teenager. Star, Star Wars radio dramas. Yeah, they kind of veer off into the um, talking the um, radio shows for the uh, Star Wars. Blast well, the, they don't the know thing is the about the radio shows, I've seen them in the stores. It's um, hosted by Stacey Keach. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stacey Keach does the radio drama. She, actually, I have a link to that somewhere. I'll have to send it to you guys. I have a link link for the radio dramas. If I can they, uh, they remade Time Enough of Last with Farce Whitaker? No, no, no. Buy of the Beholder. Right, the Beholder. Said they, Time of, uh, they don't, they don't yeah. dare make uh, remake Time Enough of Last. I would... Oh my God! I I would I would start a, a whole protest on my own. How dare they if they ever remade Tom Enough at Last? Yeah, they did Eye of the Beholder, and they did the mannequin. Well, what, 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 he was the patient, or what? What was he? What, what's the part for him? No, but no, not far, not the uh, Burgess Meredith. I'm no. talking about Forrest Whitaker. He, he was narrated. the one that introduced. Yeah, he introduced the stories. He took. Oh, he Rod's introduced play. the show. Oh, I see. I thought he yeah. Well, remember, remember, we watched those episodes. Yeah, I vaguely remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's the. Well, I watch. Yeah. I remember. They don't remember anything, so why should I? <laughs> oh, they don't. Yeah, and that one guy said, "I haven't watched them in years, and I haven't seen." Oh, blasphemers! <laughs> but the one that was talking was Josh, and he um, really enjoyed Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, he knew a yeah. little something. And Matt, he was um, twenty. He's twenty three, and Josh is in his thirties. So that's how young. Oh well, yeah, twenty three. They wouldn't know. Yeah, twenty three. They they probably they were lucky they see him in reruns. 
Okay, but right. you've seen how he present Rod present himself, and he just said he was suave and debonair, and and I mean that's a great acknowledgement compliment to um, Rod himself. Oh yeah, absolutely. He said he was a what did he say he was a pretty cool cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool guy, yeah, Frank Sinatra type thing. <laughs> well, cool, uh, and that's, that's really nice. Um, no, no, I'm glad that they, they discussed it. Uh, it's a shame that a uh, couple of them haven't watched it in years. They, they really need to get back into it then, see what they're missing. Mm-hmm. Because you know, they didn't know some of the episodes and all. Well, cool, I'm glad. And and uh, those radio dramas, I did have a link for them at one point, and I'll have to see if I still have it. If I do... I will post it here on the next show, and I'll send it to you guys um, that I have email addresses for. Stacey Keach does the uh, does the narration for those. Um, Canine King. And to anybody, if um, anybody lives where there's a half-price bookstore, mm-hmm. um, half-price bookstore do carry them. And I think they're for $5, something like that. Oh, really? For, and you probably can find them on eBay, maybe on eBay, or on, on half.com or something. And K9 King gave this an 8.0 because he said he gave it an 8. He says he, it deserves it. And Felix, you have not given us a rating. I'm very disappointed you have not given us a rating. What are you doing there? Why can't you give us a rating, 135? See, I'm going to be hard on you now, Felix. You've got to give us a rating. Oh, there we go. I knew if I gave him a hard time, he'd give me a rating. <laughs> He's laughing. Yes, he gave us a 5. Okay. Thank you, Felix. All right. So now we have... Uh, Coming up on April 28th, uh, Still Valley. Oh, God have mercy on us. <laughs> and actually, it turns into a Still Valley every time we watch this. I like, it, I like to call it Stillborn Valley. <laughs> Stillborn. <laughs> well, maybe they should have had Lincoln show up in that one. He probably could have made it more interesting. <laughs> maybe he would have done well. Anybody would help him, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, still valid. That was actually on the other night on uh, Me TV. Yeah, they showed that one. Yeah, well, that's the one that's coming up next on the twenty eighth. I hope that will not deter people from showing up here again, though, because yeah. we'll make it interesting. We'll make it fun. We'll make the fun old man of- was missing a co- he was missing a cauldron in that episode. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We will make we'll make fun of it, won't we? We'll make fun of the episode. We'll we'll make everybody laugh. So show up on more like Death as Felix said, it's more like Death Valley. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, like he was Death just Valley. missing Ronald Reagan to come on and say, Welcome to Death Valley today. Welcome to yeah. Death Valley. <laughs> Very good one, Felix. I like that. Yeah, more like Death Valley. The twenty eighth. Uh we will see hopefully see everybody here. Uh for Still Valley, Death Valley, whatever you want to call it, and we will be here to talk about it and make fun of it and have a good time. So I think we've said all we have to say today, and I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Mike Wallace. That's what CBS News chairman and 60 Minutes executive producer Jeff Fager said today. He loved the fact that if he showed up for an interview, it made people nervous. Mike Wallace died last night at a care facility in Connecticut at the age of 93. His fellow 60 Minutes correspondent Morley Safer tonight looks back. He was doing what? With you. Why? 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 Really? When you boil it down to low gravy, you demanded special treatment. You needed money. It's almost an embarrassment, sir, to hear this from you. What? What do they want you to do? Why are you so reluctant? Why? For half a century, he took on corrupt politicians, scam artists, and bureaucratic bumblers. Come on out. You don't want to talk to me? His visits preceded by the four dreaded words, Mike Wallace is here. I don't understand. They must be shamed to something. How are you, sir? What is this? This is 60 Minutes. Wow. You're a crook. Doggone, I wish they didn't say that, though. Father, I want to read you some things. Mike took to heart the old reporter's pledge to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You're contemptible. I mean, that's not for the camera. I'd like you to get out of here. <laughs> I'm nosy and, in, and insistent. So insistent, there were very few 20th century icons who did not submit to a Mike Wallace interview. He lectured Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, on corruption. 
to get anything done. Money. He lectured Yasser Arafat on violence. Mr. Chairman, there are Palestinians who would like to kill you. He asked the Ayatollah Khomeini if he was crazy. And he calls you, Imam, forgive me, his words, not mine, a lunatic. He traveled with Martin Luther King. A large segment of white society is more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity. He remains my hero. So what? He grappled with Louis Farrakhan. I think you should keep quiet. Remain strong because... And he interviewed Malcolm X shortly before his assassination. I probably am a dead man already. I came here with a belief. He was no stranger to the White House, interviewing his friends, the Reagans. Why hasn't this job weighed as heavily on you as it has on some other occupants of this Oval Office? Well, Mike, I, I don't know what the answer to that w would be. Well, maybe none of them had a Nancy. There he was with John Kennedy, with Lyndon Johnson. So you think that next time around... With Jimmy Carter, even with Eleanor Roosevelt. A good many people hated your husband. They even hated you. Yes, great many do still. Make a noise. Plus all those remarkable characters. Leonard Bernstein, Johnny Carson, Luciano Paparotti, Janis Joplin, Tina Turner, Salvador Dali, Barbara Streisand. You would love to control this piece. Absolutely. <laughs> I was an overachiever. I worked very hard, played a hell of a fiddle. At the University of Michigan, where his parents hoped he'd become a doctor or lawyer, he got hooked instead on radio. And by 1941, Mike was the announcer on The Green Hornet. Ride with Fred Reed as he races toward another thrilling adventure. The Green Hornet strikes again. My family didn't know what to make of it. An announcer? And soon, the hardest working announcer in broadcasting. Hello, I'm Mike Wallace with Real News. Hello, everybody. Hello. When television arrived in the 1950s, Mike was everywhere. Variety shows, game shows, dramas, commercials. Good evening, I'm Mike Wallace. The show is Nightbeat. But it was an interview show called Nightbeat, first broadcast in 1956, that Mike remembers fit him like custom-made brass knuckles. What do you know about that? Who in the United States is qualified? What kind of people are your friends? We decided, let's ask the irreverent, the abrasive, the... Who gives a damn question? Some, like labor leader Mike Quilt, had never been spoken to that way. Judgment, I'm simply asking a question. I'm ready any time you want to repeat the stupid question. <laughs> Neither had mobster Mickey Cohen. You've killed at least one man, or how many more? 60 Minutes, Volume 1, Number 1. So when 60 Minutes was born in 1968, Mike brought with him his nightbeat persona and contributed 40 years worth of nosiness, impertinence, and of course, drama. Mike loved to mix it up with producers, editors, even his fellow correspondents. I mean, we were colleagues and competitors at the same time. When I wanted to do a story and you wanted to do a story and it's the same story. And I come into the office the next day, you're out of town doing the story. <laughs> but beneath the confident, even cocky exterior, Mike had his demons. Three times over the years, he was treated for severe depression. Did you try to commit suicide? One point. I've never said this before. No, I tried. There are those who think that thanks to his wife, Mary, Mike mellowed a bit in recent years. Hello. But as the specter of retirement bore down, Mike fought it with customary defiance. Do you feel it's time to maybe pack it in and reflect or reflect maybe. about what well, uh, right. reflect what am i going to reflect about it was 65 years from mike's first appearance on camera a world war ii film for the navy everybody knows trouble about sailors so what you're waiting for to his last television appearance you think that people are going to believe you a 60 minutes interview with roger clemens the baseball star trying to fight off accusations of steroid use. And never an anabolic steroid. Never. 
65 years. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.